A lot of people worry that you have to feel super happy all the time. And if you're not super happy, then something's wrong with you. Or if you're not happy at all, that something's wrong with you. And I think that's one of the things that we try to dispel in positive psychology is it's not all yellow smiley faces. In fact, we know that when people are uh, score 10 out of 10 in terms of being optimistic, meaning they always look on the bright side no matter what then actually it's not healthy because if you're a 10 out of 10, that means when you have an ache in your body, you're probably going to ignore it and not go to the doctor. Or if you're a 10 out of 10 and you get some negative feedback at work, if you're constantly thinking everything will be okay, then maybe you don't try to work harder to improve your performance. So having 8 out of 10 is like amazing and perfect, but 10 out of 10 I think is a little too <laughs> too much. And the thing with emotions welcome to growth mindset university my name is jordan paris 21 year old author and host of this show and with this show you and i will embark on a journey to learn the things that we should have learned in school but did not so that we may take control of our lives while fulfilling our vision of success. Each episode will feature a brand new lesson, and now it's time for today's lesson. So put your thinking cap on, because school is now in session. All right, my guest today is Stella Grisant. As a speaker and executive coach, Stella Grisant works with overachievers, who are seeking deeper career fulfillment with organizations who are dedicated to engaging their employees. In the last 14 years, Stella has coached over 1,500 leaders in 24 countries. She's been a keynote speaker for organizations including Google, Johnson & Johnson, VMware, and Comcast. Her unique approach to being happier and more engaged on the job has been featured in the Today Show, ABC, Entrepreneur Magazine, and Vanity Fair. She regular, regularly contributes to Forbes and Thomas Reuters. Her online course, The Science of Happiness, which I absolutely love the name of, is a bestseller on Udemy.com with over 5,000 students. Stella studied economics at Columbia University's Barnard College. She was also one of the first 150 people to earn a master's degree in applied positive psychology, aka the science of happiness, from University of Pennsylvania. She now lives in New Jersey with her husband and toddler who continue to teach her what life is all about. Stella Grisant, welcome to Growth Mindset University. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. So, what is life all about? What are you teaching your toddler? Oh, well, what, it's what she's teaching me, actually. Mm. <laughs> um, so, but I, I think that uh, according, I'll, I'll give you the positive psychology version and then I'll give you what she's teaching me. But uh, according to positive psychology, which for those of you who maybe aren't familiar with it, um, traditional psychology is a deficit model. So it's like, how do we get people from negative five to zero? And then positive psychology uses the same empirical tools, but instead of asking the question, well, what's wrong with people and how do we get them back to normal? Positive psychology asks, well, what's right with people and how do we amplify that? And a lot of the growth mindset research um, comes from that you know, body of, of um of studies. So the in terms of positive psychology world, uh, Martin Seligman, who's one of the leading researchers and who helped found positive psychology, talks about what we're really after is a state of flourishing, not just feeling happy all the time. And to help us understand, well, how do you flourish? Like, what does it mean to live the life worth living, right? Um, he, the way he defined it as a, it's a co combination of five things. And so feeling happy is definitely one of them, positive emotions, but it's also about feeling engaged and lost in the moment, like getting into that flow. Mm -hmm. 
state, right? When you lose track of time and space, which is so love, right? We all love that. And then there's also relationships. And that's where my daughter comes in. She has really helped me. Uh, she, so she's, she has, well, one, we know from research that uh, the number one predictor of our happiness is our relationships and the quality of our relationships. And as hard as it is, or as hard as it was to go through the transition of being a new mom and not sleeping, um, you know, the amount of sheer uh, love that I get from her, I feel is like, it's like taking mega vitamins every day because uh, experiencing love in such amplitude is just, it, it. and we know this from research, it literally is nourishing. It's like the way the sun nourishes us with like, like helping us with our vitamin D, love nourishes us. It actually changes our physiology. It changes our, our vagal tone, which helps us have better circulation. It's like the supreme emotion. So relationships are, are really important. And, uh, and then uh, Seligman also talks about how meaning, meaning is the fourth pillar of, of well-being. And meaning is what I think um, a, lot of, a lot of your listeners and all of us are constantly asking, like, what's the meaning of all this? How do I have significance? How do I really matter? And so, um, so it's all about like contributing to something bigger than yourself. And then the final pillar is achievement. And achievement is having mastery over something. And I think in America, we do pretty well at achievement and probably we over-index on that and probably under-index on relationships, which is why as a nation, our happiness is kind of flat and we're not in like even the top 10 most happy nations, especially now. So um, so yeah, when that is the positive psychology version of living the life worth living. Um, and for me, I simplify that way down to, um, am I being the person I want to be? And can I go to bed at night and look at my day and say, how did I express my values? And did I act in accordance with them? Did I show up how I want to be? And maybe I'm not going to be like, killing it every day on every single value. But, you know, I drank enough water today and that helps my vitality, right? Or I I had a really great conversation with a client. So not every day is going to be like, yeah, I, you know, I was on the podcast with Jordan or yeah, like I was in the Wall Street Journal. But, um, but it's really about appreciating how you're expressing your values every day. And it's not about judging how much you're expressing them, but just appreciating the progress. I don't think every day should even be way up there, you know, because then we really wouldn't have appreciation for that kind of stuff anymore. The, the spectacular things, the finer things in life, and we would just sort of become immune to it, right? And I mean, I think we kind of need the... The, uh, you know, the, the more normal days, like, like, Hey, drank my cup of water today. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I think, um, a lot of people worry that you have to feel super happy all the time. And if you're not super happy, then something's wrong with you. Or if you're not, if you're not happy at all, that something's wrong with you. And I think that's one of the things that we try to dispel in positive psychology is it's not all yellow smiley faces. In fact, we know that when people, are uh, score 10 out of 10 in terms of being optimistic, meaning they always look on the bright side no matter what, then actually it's not healthy because if you're a 10 out of 10, that means when you have an ache in your body, you're probably going to ignore it and not go to the doctor. Or if you're a 10 out of 10 and you get some negative feedback at work, if you're constantly thinking everything will be okay, then maybe you don't try to work harder to improve your performance. So having, you know, eight out of 10 is like amazing and perfect, but 10 out of 10, I think is a little too, <laughs> too much. And the thing with emotions our negative emotions are just information, as is our positive emotions. Like our, our emotions like can change in a matter of like milliseconds, right? And we can experience multiple ones at, at the same time. So I think if you're uh, always trying to be happy, you're chasing something that's constantly moving. And that's why 
when Seligman talks about the theory of well-being and what does it mean to live the good life, it's not just about feeling good because feeling good is important. It drives lots of benefits, but it's going, it's, it's, it's not, it's not permanent. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of people fall into the trap that social media sort of lays for us. I mean, I know as a 21 year old and being on Instagram, there's everyone's life is pretty fantastic, fan flippantastic all the time, you know, just uh, show, showing the, the best side. And we, a lot of people are catching on to this intuitively, but, but I feel like under, you know, really understanding it and, and sort of being okay with it uh, is like a, is, is a different thing. It's hard to really ex- explain um, this, this feeling. Uh, what role do you think social media is playing on people's happiness? Cause there's, there's definitely two sides to the story, like social media and the internet and technology are great and phones are great enablers. They allow us to do so many amazing things, but then there are some really bad pitfalls too. I mean, I, I feel like Facebook depression is a real thing. And I've, you know, I've seen charts and I'll throw it in the show notes. I will throw it in the show notes for this episode. And I've seen the charts and you may have seen it as well on the Atlantic a couple of years back where ever since the iPhone was introduced, the levels of depression in, uh, I, I forget the exact age groups, but I think they were, they were testing like relatively young teens and uh, to like 20 year olds. And, but the levels of depression have been steadily rising as well as like the feeling of, you know, feeling lonely. People are reporting the feeling of loneliness more and more every single year since like 2007 or whatever it is. And again, I'm going to find that graph and put it in the show notes. Uh, What is your take on social media's role today? Well, you know, everything's a tool and it depends on how you use it. And uh, the thing is that tool is designed to be highly addictive. And it's, I mean, they pay people lots of money who are really smart to get you addicted to that little red notification button to click on it. And so if we were just to say, hey, it's a tool, it it can be used for good. I mean, there's lots of wonderful benefits from social media. My husband found like long lost family (laughs) on Facebook, which is amazing. That said, we as human beings are instinctually driven to compare ourselves. And we compare ourselves to get a sense of like, how am I stacking up? Like, am I doing okay? And social media just compounds what probably we used to do naturally uh, to such a degree that really makes us feel like we're not enough. And we know that there are, there's, I, I don't know if this is the research study you're mentioning, but we know that people do get depressed from being on Facebook for too long. And that's because with social comparison, there's really no positive benefit. You're either feeling depressed because you're not enough compared to your friends, or you're feeling a little bit better about yourself because other people are worse off than you. And I don't feel like I should go bolster my self-esteem by looking at people that are worse off than me. Like I'd actually like to derive it from something else. So it is very natural for us to uh, compare ourselves. Now, the thing is, again, comparing ourselves is kind of like this neutral instrument. It is gathering data points. But the problem is that our mind interprets those data points. And usually the interpretation is I suck and, you know, or um, I'm not good enough because look at that beautiful kitchen they have or looks like they got an amazing job and or they look so hot in their bikini, whatever it is. And usually when we see that, we think, well, I don't look that hot or my kitchen's a mess or um, I don't have like Christmas cards or family portraits or whatever. You're hearing my insecurities come out. (laughs) But um, 
So I think that it's comparison in and of itself, if you don't judge yourself, is okay. For example, I have a good friend who is very successful and and very financially successful and does amazing things with her life and travels like all over the world. And she just lives a beautiful life. And when I hear about her beautiful life, it doesn't make me feel like crap. Um, because in fact, what it does is it helps me be like, that is so amazing. I never thought that was possible. And I use those data, what's possible? Or is it taking it as a data point to judge yourself and tell yourself you're not enough? And usually when we're at points as expanding my possibility for what's possible. But with another person, I might not feel that way. I might start to, on social media, we're not conscious. We're kind of checked out. We're kind of a little passive. And so we're not the judge myself. So it's about how is your mind analyzing that information? Is it taking it as a data point for vigilant? Uh, we're not vigilant and thinking about or noticing our thoughts. And so if you're going on social media, you're in a bad mood, you're just killing time, it's almost like you're half asleep. And that's when your mind, that ha- which has a negativity bias, negativity bias means you pay attention to anything that's bad, wrong, or threatening, and it's like Velcro to your attention. And so your negativity bias just kind of like takes over and really, really smears it in and makes you feel even crappier. And so I think if you're awake in a conscious sense and you're going on there and you're celebrating and you're in there in the right frame of mind, it's great. But if you're there, have conscious, you're already feeling bad about yourself and you're just scrolling through, it probably is not a good idea. <laughs> mm-hmm. Definitely. Mindlessly scrolling, not a good idea. Yeah. Now, Stella, this next thing is, I don't know how I feel about this. I, I've, heard of, I've heard of this term, uh, the happiness baseline. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you have, but... Um, and, and I sort of used it. It was a little bit disempowering. Like I sort of used it as an excuse for myself. I, I would tell I would tell myself like, you know, I was born depressed mm-hmm. uh, because I, you know, I went to therapy uh, when I was three and four years old for sensory issues. Like I would cry at the drop of a hat. I would or like a a, a a weird noise, smell, sound, whatever. Um, and I so I, I told myself the story for a long time. Um, like a very long time, even in, you know, it, in the past, probably uh, as recently as the past year, even within the last 12 months, um, not anymore really. But, but again, I don't really know where I stand on it. Um, do you, do you think that people have a happiness baseline and that when something happens, when something really good happens, yeah, they go up, you know, maybe say that the baseline is like a six out of 10. Yeah. If something great happens, maybe they'll go up to a nine. But then over time, even with that thing that made them go up to a nine, over time, they go back down to that six. Um, and then it works It works conversely as well. You know, when, when something bad happens, you go down to a three. And then over time, you sort of gravitate back to that baseline. What do you think about that? Yeah. So just to explain to folks that the baseline idea comes from, um, you know, when we think about your happiness, 40% of it comes from genetics. 10% or sorry, maybe I'm probably messing it up now. 50% genetics, 10% life circumstances. So my cat died. So that's going to make me upset. Um, 50% genetics, like I'm born a certain way. Uh, and 40% is just what you do with it. So 40% is actually a really big chunk. So whether or not you ascribe to this, I don't, I know some of my colleagues found something research-wise, and I haven't seen it myself that kind of conflicts with the with the baseline theory. So I can't speak to it confidently. But what I do feel very confident about is every day I witness people transforming their lives and becoming different every single day. And so that's and and our brain we know there's a thing called neuroplasticity which means that our brain is constantly changing like our 
our neurons are, we're constantly creating new neural connections. Our brain is also constantly pruning our neural connections, the ones that we don't really need, or just like deleting them. So our brain is constantly changing. And it's really, we have a lot of control over how we want to see the world and how we want to see ourselves. And so if you want to experience life more brightly and you want to, it's almost like when I think about waking up, I kind of see the scene in The Wizard of Oz when she lands in Oz and it's like technicolor bright. Like it's not technicolor bright for me every single day, but the more moments I have like that, I'm like, yes. And so I think we can train our brain to have more of those technicolor moments. And those are the moments where we feel blessed, where we recognize that we're supported, where we um, feel connected to others, when we notice our own um, contribution to something bigger, whether it's just helping a woman cross the street or giving someone a compliment that makes their day or something through our work. Like the more that we can create and we have more control than I think a lot of people give themselves credit for. And so that's that's what I do on a daily basis is help people realize how much control they have over their experience, whether or not it's the 40% we know from that baseline theory or it's more, I just see it happening every single day and I see it lasting. That said though, it's just like going to the gym. Like you can go to the gym, you can lift a bunch of weights, you can get really, really strong, but if you don't keep going to the gym, your muscles are going to turn flabby again. And so it's it's a constant everyday choice. And so it's about building the right skills. I call them inner skills, and that's what I teach in my work happiness method program. And having those inner skills is what keeps you in the right lane moving towards that ultimate sense of flourishing and feeling you're most alive. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. What role does w- your work, you mentioned work uh, briefly, um, what role does work play in our happiness? I think it plays a huge role because it's where we spend most of our waking hours. So mm. it's where you spend most of your time. And we know that if you have just one friend at work, your productivity is going to be like seven times higher. So if you're in a toxic work environment, that really creates a lot of distraction and it creates a lot of misery for folks. Um, we know that it's important. Like the more the more happy you are, the better. It's kind of like there's a theory called broaden and build where positive emotion begets good results, begets more positive emotion. So the cool thing is if you experience more positive emotion, you're 30% more productive, um, you're three times more engaged, or is it 10 times more engaged and three times more creative? You're basically like a much better performer. You're 40% more likely to get a raise that year. So um, so when you experience more positivity, you're better at work. And then that also gives you probably a little bit of a boost as well. But when you're miserable at work, the problem with that, and this is why I feel very passionate about what I do, is it's not just you feeling crappy, it's you're feeling crappy. Then you come home and you spread that to the people you love because emotions are contagious. It's also you spreading it to your team. So it's like our emotions are like the flu and we can we can spread that really quickly. So if we each kind of see ourselves as, you know, responsible for our own emotional well-being, then we're actually doing the world. We're already doing something very meaningful because we're we're at least uh, being present and hopefully in a good good zone and spreading goodness that way. Mm-hmm. Well, how do we make sure we check that work box where, mm. cause it is so important. Yeah. How do we figure out what, what's, how does someone figure out what they really want to yeah. do? That's a great question. So oftentimes people will come to me feeling completely miserable, convinced they have to quit 
or maybe even start on a whole new career path. And the problem is that if you're feeling miserable where you are now, you can get a new job, you can get a new boss, you can get a new career track, but it doesn't mean you're going to feel any different. And so I like to say, no matter where you work, there you are. So if you're having tension with colleagues, it doesn't mean that you're guaranteed to love everyone you work with again. Or if you're having trouble with boundaries and you're burning yourself out, that doesn't mean that's going to change with a new career track, right? You can be a yoga teacher and burn yourself out. So it's very important for you to do what I call the inner work and gain inner skills. And the very first thing I have people do is get clear not on what they want to achieve and what they want to do, is get clear first on how they want to be. And it's a very subtle difference, but getting clear on how you want to be is about how do I want to feel? How do I want to feel throughout my day? And Maybe that's like, I want to feel creative. I want to feel connected. I want to feel respected. I want to feel, I want to feel secure. Um, I want to feel like I'm having fun and I want to feel the the camaraderie and relationships. And uh, that's, that's just what comes to mind for me. Great. Awesome. So I have them start with that. And then I, then what we do is we work backwards and then we're like, okay, so we work backwards and the next step is like getting clear on your values and your values I call, they're the guardrails for the decisions that you make and for the behaviors you exhibit. And so the point of values is that they keep you in the right lane, moving towards your vision, moving towards how you want to feel. So if you can if you can express those values and stay, you know, within them, then you're moving progressively towards how you want to feel. So there's no point in you achieving all these quote unquote great things that sound awesome on a resume and make you lots of money. If at the end of the day, you feel like crap and you're super lonely and your life sucks, like what's the point? But if you're navigating and your destination is one where you feel connected, when you're having fun, then you're much more likely to choose goals that will get you there. So it's, I call this backward logic. Most of us set our goals based on something that sounds right or impressive, but it doesn't necessarily mean we're going to land in a place that feels good. And so we kind of do things backwards and what we need to do is first start with how we want to be. And uh, the first thing I have my clients do is fill out the vision generator, which is an exercise I developed to help them think about all aspects of their work and life so that they can really sit with um, really thinking through consciously, how do I want to be? Because it's it's something we don't often give ourselves time to do. So if, you're, if your viewers would like... Um, Absolutely. To try that out, if that's okay, I'm happy to share it. It's uh, you, can just, you can go to visiongenerator.com. Awesome! I will. That's it. Visiongenerator.com. That's it. Okay. Yeah, <laughs> I'll I'll put it in the description and the show notes, of course. Okay. And so um, that's the. I think that's the key. And that also going back to your social media question. Um, I used to compare myself so much to other coaches, like friends and colleagues I, I work with who like, you know, are rubbing shoulders with Oprah. And then I would find myself feeling like crap for, for a week, like as if there was a dark cloud hovering over me. And I'd even forget, why am I in such a bad mood? But I just, I know I, I was in a bad mood. And I forget it was because I saw someone's newsletter in their picture with Oprah. And I felt like totally crappy about myself. And doing the vision and taking my own medicine, it just reminds me to stay in my own lane. And and I get to say to myself, am I living in accordance with my values? Am I striving towards a success that brings me most alive? And if I can say yes, that's all that matters. It doesn't matter if so-and-so is doing Oprah or whatever. What matters is, did I live the life worth living for me today? And would I like to be on Oprah? Yes, but <laughs> but <laughs> but it's but I know what my values are, and that's like nice, but that's not 
that's not the key to my happiness. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. So vision generator, vision generator.com. Mm-hmm. Just as a reminder, everyone, make sure you go do that. And so before we, I want to move on to money. Yeah. But would you say anything else about work though? Did we even say? Um, in, in terms of the science of happiness? Well, we just, I mean, God, there's so much to say. <laughs> um, but what I would say is that your life is way too precious and your talent is way too great. And the people in your life are way too important for you to be miserable at work. And so if you're miserable, really take the time to to shift that. And it doesn't mean quitting. It means really taking a hard look at what's going on and and is there something you can take responsibility for? And if that feels too hard to do on your own, then I would um, definitely talk to a coach um, because it, it is hard to do on your own. I mean, I have a coach. Sometimes I have two coaches because it's hard to see the forest through the trees and figuring out how to be happy and how to flourish is a skill that we're not taught and it's totally teachable, but we're not taught it. I mean, the field of positive psychology has just emerged 20 years ago and it's barely, barely making its way into schools and things like that yet. So, which is a shame. Yeah. It's, but it's happening. There's like meditation classes happening in some elementary schools and it's beautiful. It's, it's happening, but um, we have to do it for ourselves first. And so, really, I encourage you uh, to, even if you just start with, at the end of the day, three three gratitudes, three things you're grateful for. Gratitude is such an easy way to kind of amplify your positivity. And I know you've heard this a million times. Yeah. But, um, <laughs> well, what but do I, you say to the people who say that's airy-fairy and woo-woo? I mean, it's not. I mean, we have so much research that sh- that shows us it's there's nothing – woo-woo about it. Um, That's a good point. I can go on to other woo-woo stuff, but gratitude is <laughs> in no way a woo-woo thing. Um, we know that if you uh, write down three things you're grateful for every day for six weeks, you can reverse the signs of depression. You report having higher life satisfaction. And as a manager, if you're a manager, if you're a leader, an aspiring leader, just knowing that your emotions are contagious, if you come into a conversation with gratitude in your heart, uh, people are much more likely to respond better to you. In fact, all those kind of, all that, all the beliefs around you have to be tough in negotiations and a hard ass, sorry for cursing, but- No, no, we do that here. You do that. Okay, good. (laughs) So, um, I mean, not good, but I don't, I've actually been very good on your show so far. But if the, the thing is, if you if you try to be like really tough, people are less likely you're less likely to get what you want. We know from negotiation research that if you go in from a positive place, from a desire to kind of be of service, you're much more likely to get what you want. And for anybody who wants a raise, for anybody who wants more vacation days, for anybody who wants to work on an exciting project that you're not working on right now, the last thing you want to do is walk into that conversation. You can say all the perfect things you want to say, but if in your heart you're feeling like they're taking advantage of me or I'm so pissed off I haven't been on this project yet or... um, I can get so much better elsewhere. I don't know why I'm sticking it out here. If that's what you're feeling in your heart, even though you go in with a smile and make a perfect case for why you deserve what you deserve, they're not going to want to give it to you. And that's because we are amazing at reading one another, even unconsciously. And because your emotions are contagious, people can feel if you're judging them, people can feel if you're pissed off, or people can feel if you feel like a victim. And so it's really important for you to do the work, to stand in your power, and to go into a conversation from, if you can't get to positive, at least get to neutral. (laughs) Don't have a conversation when you're angry or pissed off. Uh, Really try to get to at least neutral. 
and everything you said about gratitude is a, a great point. You know, it's not airy fairy for sure. I, you know, I totally agree. And then you back it up uh, you know, with the explanation and the facts. So really appreciate that. That's, that was awesome, Stella. Uh, so money then, you know, I, I, I think it feels, it feels really good. It feels really good when, you know, when I get that nice, uh, you know, when I get that coming in, I get, you know, I get the email of like, uh, you know, a certain invoice coming in or, or just a good day. Uh, it feels really good. Uh, what role does money play in overall happiness long term? Is that something that you're familiar with? Yeah. So we know that money does play a role. Uh, up to it, it's actually the research studies. I think it depends on what year you look at it. But I think the last one I saw it was like up to like eighty thousand. It's probably a little bit more. But the point is that the research says. If you get all your financial needs met, if if you don't have your financial needs met, if you're feeling financially insecure, like you can't pay your bills, then you are going to be unhappy and stressed. But if you can pay all your bills and if you can live the life that you want to live, like we're not talking about flying on jets and getting a daily massage, but if you can get all your needs met and you're feeling more or less secure and comfortable, then if you make another 10,000, 100,000, it starts to have diminishing returns. So it Mm. certainly helps until you get into a place where you're comfortable. But once all your needs are met, it doesn't have the same returns. And it's not going to continue to make that much of a difference, um, according to the research. I know for me, like, for me, we also know f- uh, from research too that people who value their time over their money are more happy. So if you're willing to pay, let's say, a cleaning lady to save you time, so you're, you're, you're losing some money because you're paying someone to do stuff for you, um, but you're gaining more time, those people end up feeling happier. And so... Uh, it, I think at the end of the day, look, I love money. Like why not? I, it helps me pay for massages and acupuncture and like travel and things I really care, you know, um, and, uh, daycare or preschool for my daughter. Like it, and it enables us to live and function and buy organic vegetables. But So important. <laughs> yeah. I mean, and, and, and so blessed, like there's people who can't even buy vegetables um, unless they have to drive super far. So I'm grateful, uh, for the means. And I also, you know, striving just for money, for money's sake, without really striving for a sense of being can be a big trap. And a really big trap. So whenever you're kind of reaching to make more, you want to make sure that that's cool. Like there's nothing wrong with it so long as you're clear on how is it going to expand how how you want to be and show up. And if there's not that clarity at the end, then you could drive yourself really ragged and you could end up making lots of money, but you might end up I mean, you might end up feeling great, but you could also end up leaving, you know, your your friends behind or um, working crazy hours and not enjoying your life. The value time over money thing uh, really struck a chord. Um, totally, totally agree with that. And there's a lot of entrepreneurs out here that are listening that uh, one of the biggest problems facing entrepreneurs or um, solopreneurs is uh, the ability to trust other people um, to, and, and hire other people and entrust them with with the important work uh, to, to outsource, even though it's it's oftentimes much more efficient and you kind of get your sovereignty back and you're not working all day, uh, every day. I, you know, it's something that, um, you know, I, I definitely struggle with trusting people with, mm-hmm. uh, you know, with the important tasks. I, and I, like, I started thinking about this task, like a certain task that I want to delegate to somebody. That's the problem, delegation. Mm-hmm. 
I start thinking about this task and I'm like, oh, well, I want it done that way. And I'd have to explain to them, oh, I might as well just do it myself. You know what I mean? It's definitely a tough challenge. But what you're saying is that uh, if you do have that ability to delegate, it could quite possibly make you a little bit happier. It's part of the cocktail of of happiness that is contributing. It's an ingredient. Right. It really is. And I, I totally get it. I'm, you know, as someone I think who has pays a lot of attention to detail and can be a little type A and perfectionist. I don't know about you, but that's definitely me. It's really hard for me to delegate. And so I'm assuming that most of your listeners are overachievers just like you and me and struggle with that because no one's going to give it, or that's not true, but you you know how much you pay attention and how much you give. And it is, it feels like a risk and it's vulnerable to kind of let someone else do it. And that initial output of energy is quite an investment of time. But uh, it can, like, I remember when I hired um, one of my teammates, it was, it was a, a rough three months, but Three months after that, I was like, oh my God, I can't even remember the last time I, you know, did X, Y, and Z. Like I've even forgotten how to do it. This is amazing. Like I love that I'm forgetting how to do these like operational things that drive me crazy. So um, it's really worthwhile. And I find that I have just resistance to asking, um, which I've I've really worked on myself. Like resistance to finding the help, worrying that I'm never gonna find the right help. And so I just don't even try. And breaking through that has been a, has actually been one of my major things that I was focusing on last year, just like really breaking through that false belief that no one will do it as good as I can. (laughs) Yeah, right on. So Stella, I want to dispel a myth here because you're a coach and I wouldn't have you on the podcast if you weren't legitimate. Right. Of course. Like, you know, I get, I get so many requests every single day and it's just, a lot of them are just, uh, it's like not good, you know, like, like, what do you want me to do, man? Like, I can't have you, but you're legitimate. Now there are a lot of coaches with that said that, cause they're the, the barriers to entry are, you know, very low. Um, there's a lot of people coaching coaches to become coaches uh, that, it, or at least from my perspective, and I see it on LinkedIn all the time. Uh, a lot of people that, uh, a lot of financially, uh, a lot of people teaching broke people teaching courses on how to be financially free. Um, people that haven't been there done that, and they're teaching people how to be there and do that. Of course, it's not the case with you. But do you have any thoughts on that? It, it, do you, and and why it's so important to have a coach because you said yourself that you sometimes have two coaches mm-hmm. and that's something that I've heard from you before on other podcasts on uh, bulletproof radio uh, with Dave Asprey and you know you that's like that's like your thing you take it super seriously and I respect that tremendously what do you think about coaching I I I mean I don't think we're designed to go through this alone any of it. And whether you have a a financial goal, a career goal, um, a life goal, we're not designed to, to go through it alone. And, and if the way I see it is, it's just an efficiency thing. If you want to get to where you want to get to faster and with less resistance, just work with someone who has done it and who's values you're aligned with to help you get there faster. So you there's infinite ways for us to get to where we want to get to. There's no one way. There's no one type of coach. Maybe and maybe it's a personal mentor, but I just think doing it alone and doing trial and error with your own experience is it just takes longer. And so I did it on my own for a while. And 
I was driving myself mad and I was depressed and I felt like a total fraud because I had um, coached a bunch of women entrepreneurs for eight years. I was in the middle of my grad school learning the science of happiness and I was collapsed on the couch, addicted to Netflix, like shoving Nutella in my face, feeling super depressed and sabotaging my own business because I was resisting um, I was resisting something and I tried figuring it out on my own and <laughs> I was too sneaky for my own good. And I just needed someone to hold me accountable to my own medicine. And that's when I hired a coach. And so our minds are really sneaky and our minds don't always have our own interest. <laughs> um, our, our minds are, aren't really designed for us to flourish and so we have to know how to manage our mind. And that's hard to do on your own without any kind of disciplined approach. And so there's so many different approaches. Coaching is one great approach. Um, but I also have a strong spiritual practice and I do meditation. So I do a lot of things because again, it's not like I can stop quote unquote going to the gym. I have to you know, pick up those weights every day. And it's still a choice. It's like a still a choice for me every single day. And my coach keeps me accountable. And I know when I have a call with her, it just helps me like rally again because a few weeks will go by and I'll be like, ah, and, and, you know, just talking with her just sets me straight. I feel more positive. Like we all need that. Like, you know, even though I help so many people, I still need someone too. We all need someone. So I guess that's my um, yeah. two cents. Better together. It's a whole chapter in my book. So cool. I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm right. I'm right in accordance with you there, Stella. Now you said something that's really caught my attention. You, you mentioned the Nutella <laughs> sitting, <laughs> you know, sitting on the couch watching Netflix and uh, eating Nutella. And I totally forgot about this until now, but um if you could briefly, like what role does health play yeah. in, in happiness? Cause I, in my anecdotal, with my anecdotal evidence in my own personal experience, um, a lot of people know that and a lot, and a lot of people don't know that my background is in health and fitness. Uh, the first thing I ever did, um, the first job I ever had working for myself was, uh, you know, being a personal trainer, not at the gym, uh, but in home clients. And, you know, I still keep, I still keep two clients, two in-home clients that I've had for two years and they're my friends and, uh, and I, and I eat healthy. My diet is impeccable and I, I feel great and produce outstanding results, uh, because of the energy that I have, the energy that comes from the food, uh, that I eat and the water that I drink and, and, and it's, and, and then the, the alcohol that I don't drink and the garbage that I don't eat, you know, it's just, it's so invaluable, I think, in producing outstanding results. And I find that when I eat like crap, I, um, I just, I'm, I'm losing it. Like I, even, even I feel it, it, whether it's a placebo or not, I feel like, cause I'm just so perfect with my diet all the time. And yeah, I know a lot of people that don't, um, know me like personally are like, yeah, right. But, but people that know me personally are like, he ain't kidding. Um, whether it's a placebo, like? <laughs> it's a great question. I have very few grains. I have very little meat. Um, I would say I, I do have meat, but you know, it's about two ounces per day. Um, you know, the, the flowers that I have are like almond flour. Um, I, you know, it's pretty much, it's, it's a very much a whole food plant-based diet with a little bit of meat here and there. Um, and most of the time, like wild caught Alaskan salmon, um, you know, that's like my favorite meat to eat, you know, definitely, definitely one of the best out there, um, very low in mercury and, and then just a fish oil supplement and a probiotic. Uh, that's, that's really, it's really it. And, and a lot of water and it's, and it doesn't really vary from day to day, you know, and it suits me, even though it's a little bit boring for sure. Um, but I'm, I, I always, I don't know. I've always had a had a taste for the, the bland the bland things. So but you it don't works. have it's not bland. I'm kind of I'm on the whole 30 diet right now just because we're I endorse. And um 
It's not bland at all. I feel like there's so much variety and like, oh my God, what you can do with like cauliflower rice. So I mean, I definitely, um, I have a sweet tooth, so that's been the thing for me to manage. But I, um, I do think it's really important. It is, and it's not, Mm. there's not enough, um, attention to the body I think as much as there should be in positive psychology research, I think we're getting there. Um, but it really matters. I mean, I know also sleep is so important. So important. Right? Oh my God. I, I, I'm like, I wake up in instant depression if I get like less yeah. than six hours of sleep. It's yeah. it's like that. It's, the whole day is just done. And I'm so susceptible to negative yeah. thoughts the whole yeah, day. Yeah. Oh yeah. I, I'm like the incredible Hulk. Like I literally will like feel like my denim's ripping and I'm going to become this angry beast, like just <laughs> destroying what's in my path if I don't have enough yeah. sleep. Um, it, and, and the research really, is very clear on sleep. Yeah. And for me, um, that only started to happen when I had my daughter. And I, I think, I guess I used to be okay with not enough, but um, yeah, it really matters. And I spend a lot of time and money <laughs> trying to optimize my health. And it's a lot of work, but I do notice I'm better. And it's been nice to be on the whole 30 and not have any grains. I used to feel like it was cool. So I'm, I'm reconsidering my whole grain situation as we speak. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. It's a good thing to reconsider for sure. Yeah. So Stella, if people want that legitimate coach, someone who is crushing it in business and in life and just has an overall joyous and and cheery attitude about her, also known as Stella, how can (laughs) people get a hold of you? Are you taking on new clients? I am. I have room for a few few private clients right now. Oh, heck yeah. Jump on that. Yeah. And I um, I have a group program, which people can join called the Work Happiness Method. So there's lots of ways to work with me. Um, what if people download the Vision Generator? That's a great way because I'll I'll send you an email and you'll have my email right away. Um, you can also I I every month I make space on my calendar to talk to folks who want to explore working together. And so if that resonates with you guys, you can go to uh, workhappinessmethod.com/apply and there you can book some time and we can chat and see if we're a fit. Um, and yeah, or you could just check out my website. I know I'm giving like a lot of links, so if this is like- <laughs> No, it's okay. Stop me. You can go to whoopa.com if you want to read more about me and see some what what clients have to say. Awesome. All of these will be in the description in the show notes as Thank usual. You. And so, Stella, uh, before I ask my final question, which I'm actually debating for the first time ever, um, but anyway, uh, before I ask my final question, I have to acknowledge you uh, because you know you exude joy in everything you say and do, and you can you can hear it in even just your laugh. You can you can hear it. Oh, uh, like it's almost nice. like it's almost like I see the mind, like the brain, like like perk up you know, when you laugh, it's, uh, it's something, uh, unique. It's just something that, that I feel when you and I are communicating. So I really appreciate that about you. And I've really enjoyed our conversation. It's been an amazing part of my incredibly fulfilling Monday. And I uh, look forward to continuing this dialogue with you. Thank you. Ditto. I, I really enjoyed it. Awesome. So (laughs) my final question, usually it is, if you could teach a course at a university, a course of your creation or otherwise, what would it be? Now you teach your course on the science of happiness. And so, and and we've kind of talked about uh, the whole episode has been about the science of happiness. So what what I would want to change the final question to Mm -hmm. is, the, the happy habits, the toolkit, mm-hmm. the maybe three, three, three things, the three happy habits that mm. we can add to our toolkits, our arsenal, mm. our tool belt uh, right now. 
Great. Okay. So one we mentioned, which is gratitude. So writing down three things you're grateful for. And what I like to do is if you have a significant other or a roommate or someone that you live with to actually share it with them. So you can do this over the dinner table. You can do this before you go to bed. And what this does is it really helps because when you're not in the mood to be grateful or you're like, today was just a blah day and you hear someone else going on about what they're grateful for, it kind of it kind of gets the wheels turning and you're like, oh yeah, that that really nice thing did happen to me today. Or, oh yeah, like I, a client was really happy and so that was really nice. So um, write it down, share it with someone. That's number one. Number two is to develop some sort of uh, mindfulness meditation practice. And it doesn't have to be you sitting on a cushion. It's just about you having some disciplined approach towards managing your thoughts because your thoughts will run you. And unless you learn how to become aware of your thoughts and not identify with them, it will always be very difficult um, for you to move through situations and take things personally and fall into that comparison trap. So that's number two. For for the meditation, (laughs) I have to recommend, people don't know where to start with that, get the Headspace app. And Love students it. can get the full thing for nine ninety nine a year. Like it's amazing. Really? Oh on my your, god, I have it. Yeah, it yeah. usually costs like a hundred or two hundred bucks per year. And that's I a good deal. That's what I'm saying. Students, that's if good. you're not getting that, you're sleeping on life. Like get out of what? here. Stop oh listening. Stop listening. If you're a student and you listen to this and you don't have the Headspace app for nine ninety nine a year, stop listening. Anyway. <laughs> oh, I gotta tell my nephew. That's amazing. Yeah. Um, okay, and then the third thing is um, a ritual that I have when I wake up in the morning. And it's just about, I, I, I will wake up and, you know, maybe you're not a religious or a spiritual person, whatever you believe in, like fill in the blank. But I just ask, like, I wake up in the morning and I think, you know, may I be of service today? And I ask, how can I be of service today? And I just like, I sit with that. And then what I'll also like, if I have time, I will uh, follow that with a loving kindness meditation. And a loving kindness meditation is basically you just uh, thinking about people in your life and yourself, envisioning those individuals and wishing them well. And so we also know this has also been well studied by Western legit researchers, but it actually is a a Buddhist practice. And so basically the idea is to envision someone you love. May they be healthy. May they be happy. May they be safe. You can come up with your own like wishes. um, And then you do it for yourself. You do it for a few other people. And then you even include people that you're having a tough time with people that you don't like. And that really helps. Remember when I was talking about having those difficult conversations that can actually do wonders, can do some pretty amazing stuff. So I will do that. And I, and I do that for, I will do that for my team. I'll also do it for anyone I encounter that day. So I don't know who I'm going to encounter. And I notice when I do it, some pretty amazing stuff always happens. People can really sense whether or not you are wishing them well, even if you don't know them. And mm-hmm. so that that just really creates this nice cushion of love around you, which I think is a good way to operate in this world. <laughs> so I do that. So that would be my number three. Stella Grisant. Educating the world on happiness. I think it's a fantastic service. Thank you so much. Thank you. There you have it, my friends. This has been another episode of the Growth Mindset University podcast. Now, if you enjoyed this one today, I would really appreciate it if you could leave us a quick five-star rating in iTunes. All you have to do is grab your iPhone or iPad, Open up the Apple Podcast app, hit the search tab, search the show, Growth Mindset University, or just search my name, Jordan Paris, tap the show, scroll all the way to the bottom, and then just hit that fifth star, and that helps us 
tremendously in ways that you could never even imagine. It means the absolute world to me when people do this. I would be eternally grateful if you do that. We're pushing 100 ratings right now, and it's really making a difference for this show. And of course, if you've not already subscribed to the show, just make sure you do that wherever you're listening to so that you don't miss that next episode. I know you're not going to want to miss it. And you only heard this episode today because I thought it was valuable enough to post here. So if you want to share that value with your friends, your family, go ahead and do that. Share this episode with them. Take a screenshot, send it to them. Take a screenshot, put it on your Instagram story and tag me at J underscore Paris underscore so that I know you're listening and I can get back to you and put a face to the name. Now, if you're ready to really take your life to the next level, My book is on Amazon. It is also called Growth Mindset University. It's all about how to learn anything, how to take control of your life, and how to fulfill your vision of success. And you're not just supporting me and this channel by getting this book, but you're also getting this awesome book that's going to lay out the rules and principles to design your life full of joy and fulfillment. All right. I love you all so very much. And until next time, my friends, make every day count, live to learn and grow to give.